In September 2014, with the Star Wars Rebels premiere mere weeks away, the first adult novel to be released in the new canon era introduced us to roguish former Jedi Padawan Kanan Jarrus and Harrison Dulla, ace pilot and nascent revolutionary. That book was, of course, A New Dawn, and we're going to talk about it today. You're listening to Canon in 15 Minutes from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. <laughs> And welcome back to Canon in 15 Minutes from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying the show as much as we are enjoying putting it together. I'm Johnny Maynard, your host for today, but I am not alone. With me today is fellow Star Wars book fan Connor, a.k.a. Connor's Bookshelf. Hi, Connor. Hey, super excited to be here and talk about some new dawn. Good to have you here, Connor. And we're also joined by founder of the Star Wars book community and Phantom Tracks book reviewer, Chris Davies. Hi, Chris. Hello. I'm really excited about this one. This book means a lot to me. Good stuff. Well, let me give the folks listening a bit of context and then we'll get into it. So we're talking about A New Dawn, published on the 2nd of September 2014. Uh, As with Ezra's Gamble, this was very much part of the promotional run-in to Star Wars Rebels, the animated show. And this was written by the great John Jackson Miller, uh, someone who'd been writing Star Wars comics and prose for almost a decade at this point. The story takes place around 11 BBY, which is around six years before the start of the Rebels TV show. The plot sees Kanan not quite living hand to mouth, but keeping a a low profile uh, and and a simple, slightly itinerant lifestyle. We find him flying freighters in the mining system of Gorse, which has come under the scrutiny and control of Count Vidian, a ruthless Imperial whose cyborg enhancements make him not only a financial mastermind, but quite an unsettling physical presence. Uh, The book also introduces Captain Ray Sloan climbing the slippery Imperial ladder, and of course we meet Hera Syndulla, daughter of the Clone Wars Twi'lek revolutionary Cham Syndulla, as she investigates Imperial wrongdoing. But what starts as an information-gathering mission for Hera soon heats up as Vidian tightens his grip on Gorse's mining system with potentially world-shattering results. Um, I always feel that people diving into this book might be a little surprised by its characterization of the Jedi Padawan formerly known as Caleb Doom, uh, Kanan Jarrus. Connor, what do you make of Kanan here? I feel like the Kanan we see in this book is very different from the Kanan we see in the show. He's got that mm-hmm. roguish sort of charm to him, more Han Solo than Obi-Wan, to put it in a way. Yeah, the, the, there's sort of a, there's a, a slightly affected nonchalance and a slightly affected sense of, I don't want to get involved with your problems, and yet he sort of keeps getting drawn into people's problems. Chris, what about you? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, he's, he is a different character, but I think that's fine. I mean... He, when we meet him in Rebels, he's six years deep into a relationship. Now, I know from my own personal experience, six years deep into a relationship, I'm I'm a very different person to when I'm like a young 20-something, you know, guy on the street, single. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so you've got to think these characters do grow and change. And he's very much, he's still the same character, but he, he, is, he is more, like you said, roguish, a bit more charming, a bit more... Um, uh, aware of the females uh but that's but that's to be expected yeah. isn't it I, I, is he charming uh, yeah i mean <laughs> i kind of i, I would find say he's charming. 
I find him... I found him charming. I found him as super charming. Yeah. Thank you very much. I mean, I think it's... I... I find him, and I know I'm not alone in this because I've seen other people commenting similarly um, online. You know, I—it's almost quite awkward sometimes. He's—he's he's absolutely obsessed with how hot Hera is. You know, I mean, and, and that's there, there's a really uncomfortable male gaze sometimes that you know he, John Jackson Miller keeps telling us time and time again how much Kanan has the hots for Hera and and how that's really the only reason he's tagging along for this ride and. I, I, I totally take your point. He he's in a different place right now. I, I just I, I guess I find it hard to join the dots between the, the the nice little sweet Padawan that we meet in the prologue and the Kanan that we meet in in Rebels season one, and then this guy that that we meet in in, in sort of the bigger chunk of this book. You know. It's, okay, Johnny. Though, yeah. like, answer me this. Yeah. Six years before you met your wife. Were you the first same person you are now? No. There you go. No, I, indeed, but I, <laughs> no, I, I, that's totally fine. I am happy for there to be character growth, and I'm happy for you know to find Keenan in a very different place. And, and I really enjoy a lot about his characterization in this. I just I find it. I don't know. I, he's just a bit weirdly lechy. Uh, you know, in, in a way that I just I find a bit icky, actually. And I, and I know there are people who don't. You know, obviously you guys don't see that either. But it, it, it's it jumps out at me for some reason as, as a bit odd. I mean, it's to me, it's true. Like that's that's how dudes think and feel. They don't say it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They don't say it out loud. But that is, if you find someone you're attracted to, that is how that. I mean, not just dudes, girls as well. You know, females as well. They'll probably see the same. It does take up a large portion of your thoughts, and it does inform your decisions. Yeah, but and 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 yet, in in the canon era, we've got particularly we've we've got a lot of other books uh, that focus on romances that don't make me feel that way. That don't really have an awkward male gaze. That don't really, you know, you you, you know, you, you're left under no illusions about how these characters feel about each other. But it never feels. I don't know. It, I, does that does that feel more genuine to you though? Yeah. I mean, okay, I, I I think part of my problem, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about Hera, but part of my problem, I think, is that it's it feels very one-sided, um, and 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 he's just not taking the hint that Hera's really not yes, particularly I interested. Yeah, I see that. To be honest, and I'll mention that as well when we talk about. Yeah, Hera. okay. Well, let, let let's talk about Hera. Not as Kanan sees her, but what she's up to, how she carries herself, how does she come across here for you, Chris? I mean. It's, it's fine as a book character. Again, it's not very similar to the, the character we get in Rebels. But, you know, like you said, it is, she is younger. She is more focused because she has been the daughter of a freedom fighter the whole life. And this is very much one of her early missions. The The character we get here, though, the lens it's viewed through is not through the traditional lens. It's through Kanan's eyes, I, I think. Even the, ch- even the chapters that follow Hera uh, when she's first introduced... You don't. It doesn't really follow Hera. She's kind of more presented as a mysterious female figure, like uh, Selena Kyle, for example, from Catwoman. Uh, it's very similar, like a mysterious, slightly sexy, super kick-ass character that isn't much more than that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's obvious to me as well. That actually, yeah, part of this book is <sighs> Hera's story. But even when we've ostensibly got sort of a, a Hera POV section, you don't really feel like you're inside Hera's head in, in the same way. We're not. I feel like we don't really get to know her interior life quite as much. Connor, what about you? How, how's Hera working for you here? So when I read A New Dawn, I had it in this um, this collection called Rise of the Empire. Oh, that paperback yeah. compendium. Right. And yeah. there was a short story, and I think just before New Dawn, that featured Hera when she was a little bit younger going on. I'm not sure if it was her first mission or a mission with the Freedom Fighters. Yeah. But I really liked that story because it helped sort of contextualize Hera a little bit more before I came into this novel. So I felt like I had more characterization for her so i was a fan of what they did with her in this book i felt like it built off that nicely and i had a little bit of extra knowledge yeah yeah i mean i i, I like her of the two of them i prefer her <laughs> over kane in, in this novel and i think part of that is she feels truer to the hair that i know from the show and she's very much job first mission first and this guy who's being a bit of a pest well I, if i can use him that's fine it's like it's like Leia and han isn't it yeah their relationship at first is similar to that yeah yeah absolutely uh okay what about villains then um we've got both count vidian and ray sloan here are either of them making a particularly big impression on you connor i think both of them make a really big impression but i'll talk about them Ray Sloan to start. I think she's a great example of someone who is very dedicated to the empire, but at the same time sees some of its flaws. She knows what's wrong with it. And her whole relationship with Count Vidian kind of emphasizes that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she's very opportunistic here. Um, right. She sort of sees the opportunities to climb the ladder and Count Vidian's a, con- a convenient rung for the time being, um, although she's under no illusions about how dangerous the man is. Chris, I know you're a big Ray Sloan fan. How did you think she worked here? Well, let me answer that question <laughs> with a question. Is Ray Sloan a villain? I think she is. Um, I, I mean, is I mean she? because I, I'm one of those people who I'm one of those people who will always sort of quite happily say, "Yeah, the space Nazis are all bad." Um, Yes, but to her, it's not about that. Her reasons for doing it and being part of them isn't about that. It's because she wants peace. She wants peace. She wants order. Not in the same way that Vader wants order or Palpatine. Her motivations are good. And she never does anything bad. Even Aftermath, she never does anything bad. I mean, she tortures Wedge, but that's, you know. But, like, apart from torturing Wedge... Yeah, you're, so you're, you're talking about her appearance later in the timeline in the aftermath, like you, when, when she's sort of assuming the title of Grand Admiral, trying to piece the Empire back together. Um, but but it, yeah. do you think she's there at this point in her career in A New Dawn, where she's Captain Sloan, or, or is she just climbing the ladder here and doing whatever she needs to do to survive as a sort of a young, ambitious officer? Does, does she have any ideology here? Well, that's just it. I was really surprised when I read this book. So let me just quickly say as well, um, both the initial question and this have come across quite negative, but I don't want it to uh, sort of detract from the fact this book is amazing and i love this book yeah do you know what i mean so this book is great um and we'll get on to probably why in a minute 
Um, so I just wanted to say that first. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I was quite surprised when I read this book first because Ray Stone, when she's initially introduced in the book, she is a typical, you know, uh, captain, empire, almost like a a non-character. Someone that doesn't yeah. particularly stand out. But obviously, spoilers, guys. Um, at the end of the book, she's the one that kind of pulls the plug as such on Count Vidian's operation and yeah. does the right thing for Gorse. And that was really surprising. She was an Imperial officer that actually yeah. did the right yeah. thing. Um, and it was, wasn't even a question. We're so used to the Empire being pantomime villains who that don't have any good backbone. They're all sneering, moustache twirling, talking and talking yeah. lights, aren't they? Um, and I think this is one of the first times I saw it ever, really, because there certainly wasn't anything in the prequels or the uh, originals no. like this. No. Um, where where we had that kind of character, and I think that is why Ray Sloan has stuck around mm, since. Yeah, not much no, they, they were definitely but... pushing her to the fore in this era of, of the publishing um, publishing project. What about Count Vidian then, Connor? He feels like, and not not character wise, but appearance wise, I've always imagined him in my head. As like a Darth Vader General Grievous mashup, and his ideas and his whole sort of plan, whatever what he's doing throughout the whole book, it kind of feels like he's just using the Empire. Like this is what's in charge right now. This is what I can use to accomplish what I want. Everything else is kind of there. Yeah, yeah. He feels a bit like yeah. He's not a true believer, as far as the Empire is concerned, but. It's a bit like uh, it, it, it's quite tropish in a way. You often see in, in in movies, you know, there's there's the sort of the the opportunistic corporate guy who's just taking an opportunity. Um, you know, be be that um, oh, who's the villain in the third Indiana Jones movie? Um, Donovan. You know, he's not a he's not a Nazi, but he's the money guy. Right. You know, uh, it, it, it's that, isn't it? You know, you, you never really feel that Vidian's not he's not really an imperial, but um, he's a tool that the emperor is willing to wield and he's willing to to be used in that way because he gets his jollies out of um well corporate restructuring essentially <laughs> isn't it you know <laughs> that definitely that's exactly what he's doing i mean he's it, got... it, it, it's I, I there was something that hit me i think i might, might have mentioned this to you in a chat offline a few weeks ago connor uh it only hit me rereading this more recently that you know, you've got this villain in Vidian who you know his catchphrase is you know forget the old ways, and he's he's essentially a, a corporate restructuring guru, you know, and it suddenly hit me: is this a not too subtle subtweet from a legacy legends author in John Jackson Miller about the Disney acquisition and the changes that were happening at at Lucasfilm Publishing at the time? You know, because, I think you might be reading in too much into that one. Maybe it's not like we've seen anything from John Jackson Miller since. You know? Right, yeah. I feel like it's not too far out of the realm of possibility. It, it, it's a very Lucas idea as well. You know, George Lucas loved this idea of you know the banality of evil and evil lurking in the corporate world, and you know, they'll you know if they don't get you with their laser guns, they'll get you with their utilities contracts. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, it, it it feels very Star Warsy to me in that sense, which is just it's, just, it's interesting anyway. Does Vidian linger in your mind after reading this book? Has he made a massive impression? To be honest, no. 
I just don't feel he made a big enough impact. I mean, I like him as a character in this book, but outside of that, I'm not really sure what else he does for the larger timeline, I guess. Yeah. He, he, I remember reading it for the first time, it de- he definitely felt a bit sort of one and done, you know, and for obvious reasons in this book. And when we have had him in a short story elsewhere, but he was mentioned in Twilight Company as well. Yeah, there's a there's a bust of him. Um, at, and uh, aftermath. Y- oh, really? Okay. Yeah, just mentioned. I think Ray Sloan mentions him at some point. Okay. Well, that that's probably a nice segue then into thinking about connections to other stories, or, or indeed wh- whether any of this has its roots in Legends material. I mean, obviously, John Jackson Miller is a legacy Legends author. Uh, you know, I, I'm not seeing much here that that is obviously coming from Legends. Are you, are you guys aware of anything Legends lore-ish that, that's popped up here? Um, no, not that I can think of. Um, like I said, other than nothing from Legends. No. Because it, it, you've got to think the aim of this book was to set up the new canon, wasn't it? So at that point, they were probably trying to stay away from Legends as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Forget, forget the old ways, once again. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay, so so in terms of canon connections then, this is setting up, um, I guess, setting up Sloan, Chris, yeah? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if it's setting up Sloan. I think... Uh, a lot of people just responded to that character and decided to use her in future works. Yeah. Um, I think she was just a character in this book that just took off. Yeah. So um, for anybody listening who doesn't know where else she pops up, where else can they find her? The She's in Star Wars Squadrons game. Uh, she's in the Kanan comic, which is almost straight after this, you know, a few years after. Uh, and then she's most prominently in the Aftermath trilogy. She is kind of the main... She's not really the main antagonist. I think that's a stretch. But she's our main POV of the Remnants of the Empire. Yeah. In the Aftermath trilogy. And um, a little known fact that a lot of people might find interesting, she becomes... After Aftermath, she leaves the Unknown Regions and becomes the first leader of what becomes the First Order. She's the person that precedes Snoke. And we haven't had that story yet, and I think that's my most wanted story. Did they did they even mention her in that Shadow Console scene in The Mandalorian no. Season 3? No, they didn't. Um, I, her party was represented by Brendel Hooks, so she wasn't necessarily needed to be mentioned. Mm. And I feel like for the majority of people watching that scene, the name of Hooks would have been made a bigger impact yeah. than Sloan. Yeah. So I get why they did that. Then again, it is that is about five, six, seven years after we last see Sloane. So she could be dead by that point. You yeah. don't know. You haven't had that story. The only other mention we've had of her was in the novel Phasma, which is years and years later, yeah. um, when um, Armitage Hooks, the, the Hooks we know, mentions her almost wistfully, um, almost that he misses her and he misses when she was their leader. Yeah. So there, there are there have been mentions of Sloane, and obviously with the new Filoni-verse sort of dipping into that, um, there's a good chance we will see her again, I think. Yeah, I, I hope so. I really hope so. Um, in terms of Vidian, then, has he popped up anywhere else, Connor, that you're aware of? Yeah, I don't think he shows up. Aside, there is another short story he's in, but aside from that, I don't think we see him elsewhere. You're right, Connor. Yeah, so there's another one because that 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 Rise of the Empire paperback compendium that you mentioned it basically it comprises the novel, this novel, 
the novel Tarkin, and then three original short stories, if I'm not mistaken. One of which is the Hera story you mentioned. Another one is, I think it's called Bottleneck, which which features yes. the Vidian doing some more corporate restructuring, I think. Um, possibly with Tark- Tarkin might be in that as well. I believe um, he is. Well, actually, um, he was mentioned somewhere else. In from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back, he was mentioned in John Jackson Miller's story, Lord Vader Will See You Now, which was a Ray Sloan story, uh, and she's mentioned there. Yeah. Yeah. So John Jackson Miller did come back. Oh, he did. He did. <laughs> ah, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, he's been. He was in the, both of them, weren't he? Well, that, that that's nice to know. It's nice to know the new broom didn't sweep him all the way on. Because he did Lord Vader will see you now, and then he did the uh, he did the Rose Squadron one, which was amazing, and he was in Canto Bite. Oh, that's right. Canto Bite being the it, it's basically yes, uh, four novellas. Yeah, I mean, I think he was asked about this recently. He said he said he'd love to do something, but he's just deep in star trek novels at the moment oh is that what he's up to yeah he's been doing all the uh discovery novels and strange new worlds and picard's novels gotcha gotcha yeah okay something that i like about a new dawn and it's not sort of an explicit connection to other stuff but but it's more around industry and the empire a lot of the books a lot of the early canon books that we got tended to feature you know the empire something about the empire interfering with industry or a lot to do with natural resources or you know almost sort of exploiting natural resources to almost catastrophic ends um and or the you know the, the logistics of building a big super weapon in secret you know there seem to be a lot of story threads around around that and i guess that's this sits squarely in that you know, as a kind of a running, well, yeah, the running theme through through the sort of the imperial era, I guess. I mean, what would have been in production at this point that came out two years afterwards? Rogue One would have been in production at this point. It would have been, yeah, you know. So the, the the Death Star was very much on the front of their minds. So you had this, you had Ahsoka, um, and there was other stories, the Guardians of the Wills. I mean, that, that was a tie into Rogue One, I know, but a lot of it was about that kind of. Um, yeah, well, th- even that first Thrawn novel, you know, the, the, there's there's a big thread through it around, you know, the, the, the imperial uh, mining interests and where they're getting large quantities of natural resources from, and then Thrawn starting to put the pieces together in terms of what's actually going on. Um, yeah, but it just seemed to be. I guess it's just it was just a running thread at that point in time um, with a lot of the stories they were telling in that era. There's another um, sort of connection I'd like to point out, if that's okay. Um, it's not so much a connection, it's a parallel to the point that I believe it was inspired by this book, and that is the Jedi Fallen Order. The opening scenes of Jedi Fallen Order and Cal's story feel very similar to A New Dawn. In the sense of, he's very much in the same situation as Kanan. He's very much doing the same thing of just keeping his head down, doing menial jobs, all that kind of stuff until something happens and he, he has to get involved. Yeah. Obviously, there's less females and uh, he, you, you think it's more of a galactic story rather than a new dawn's more of a domestic story. Um, but they are very really similar how they start at least. Yeah, absolutely. Cal- it's it's interesting you mentioned sort of the the scale of the stories as well because obviously John Jackson Miller has run the gamut between telling. These sort of very epic stories and things like the Knights of the Old Republic comic run, uh, and, and and very domestic stories, very small scale stories in comparison with the things like Kenobi, you know, in, in the Legends continuity. And the, a new a new dawn feels much more like the latter, doesn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, again, we know where that is. It's because in this early days of canon, they didn't know what they were going to touch. So a lot of books were just making up a new planet, staying on that new planet with yeah. new characters, treading very carefully yeah. in those first few years. Absolutely. Okay, uh, what about final thoughts then? We're, uh, we're running tight on time. So, um, Connor, how are you feeling about this book? I like this book. I think it's really good if you want to know more about Kanan and Hera before Rebels, if you want to know how they met, how their relationship began, then this is definitely a book you're going to want to check out. And Chris, what about you? I love this book. This was this was my first book, my first Star Wars book. I read um, Heir to the Empire and Truce of Bakura when I was younger and stuff. I didn't really, in Rose Quadrant, but I didn't super connect to them. Um, and when they reset the canon, I was like, this is my end. You know, that yeah, big, scary yeah. timeline of books to read is gone now. I can I can start from the beginning. And I picked this up uh, from Dubrovic Smith, which is a bookshop in England. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I hadn't even seen Rebel. Hmm. So all those characterizations, the issues that you might have had, I didn't have yeah, any of that. that's interesting. Because these are my characters. You know, and this is my introduction to them. And, it, and reading it that way, when I got to Rebels, and it had been six years, it absolutely made sense to be different now to me. Um, so, yeah, I really, really love this book. Um, and I feel like we've done a slight disservice to the actual, just the plot of the book. The plot of the book, take away the characterization and what we know and how it connects to all the things, just the actual central story of the book is genuinely quite thrilling. It's quite, it's a, it's a fun read. It's a good read. Yeah, the, the, um, there, I, there are plenty of action beats there. Um, and, and, and Skelly, he's a great character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Saluna, the Celestine lady who worked for Imperial Surveillance, but turns... I mean, you're right, there's a oh, lovely... Yeah, that's awesome, that is, that whole, that whole storyline. Yeah, yeah the, 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 there's a lovely cast of well-written characters around them, yeah. I mean, it, it's probably, hand on heart, possibly one of my least favourite of the new canon, but I do enjoy going back and re-listening to it on audio, which, which is sort of my preferred way of revisiting. Yeah, Mark it. Thompson's video is uh, quite something. Yeah, yeah, well, he's, he's a genius at whatever he turns yeah, his hands it, to. It really adds an extra level to that character. Yeah. This, yeah. this is a good one to listen to on audio. Very, very much so. I, I think I tend to get more out of it on audio than, than I did reading it through um, in my physical copy the first time. So that, that, that might be a way for some folk to go. Um, excellent. Okay, well, thanks for that, guys. Um, where can folk find you online if they want to find you, Chris? As always, SW Book Collector. Yep, excellent. <laughs> and what about you, Connor? <laughs> Connor's Bookshelf over on Instagram. Lovely. Uh, of course, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, mostly on Instagram, as at Journals of the Wills. That's Journals with an S and Wills with an H. And of course, you can reach out to the podcast team and you want to look for at SWBC Podcast. Uh, Canon in 15 minutes will be back in two weeks looking at the comic Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir. Yes, we know it's technically Legends as well, so don't at us. Um, next we do week, mention that. Yeah. Next week, um, Legends in 15 Minutes will be back looking at John Ostrander's Dawn of the Jedi comic series. Until then, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And goodbye from Connor. Goodbye, everyone. Have a fantastic week. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, everyone. And be kind to each other out there.